Dress, the history of fashion, is a production of iHeartRadio. With over 7 billion people in the world, we all have one thing in common. Every day, we all get dressed. Welcome to Dressed, the History of Fashion, a podcast that explores the who, what, when of why we wear. We are fashion historians and your hosts, Cassidy Zachary. And April Callahan. Dressed listeners, welcome back to part two of our two-part episode with sustainable and ethical fashion designer Mimi Prober. Her work has been worn by Chloe Sevigny, Misty Copeland, Erica Badu, Rihanna, Billy Porter, I mean, and (laughs) so many other people. And it's also currently on view at the Costume Institute's exhibition in America, A Lexicon of Fashion, which is up at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City. And she also concurrently has an exhibition at Cornell University in upstate New York. And her ethos of reclaiming, reusing, and reviving is part of what we think the future of fashion needs to be. So we are so pleased to welcome her back to learn more. Mimi, welcome back to Dressed. I want to touch back on the dye stuffs that you use because some of them are very cool. Not just flowers, but like avocados. Will you, will you talk to us a little bit about this? Yeah. So basically each season we try to incorporate a new natural color and technique. So within our color palettes, we've used everything from fresh and discarded flowers. They do not have to be alive. We work with local flower farms and florists um, to rescue their discarded flowers. We also work with farmers for American grown natural indigo. And then going to the avocado, we did a collection and then we continue to use this into our color palette where it was garden to plate. So the idea was to incorporate avocado as well as pomegranate. And avocado creates this beautiful dusty rose color that has quickly become my favorite color personally. It just is such a soft and uh, deep beauty with so much multi-dimension. And so that's come our signature as well. You can also use onion skins, pomegranate. It does not give you red. It gives you yellow because you're using the pomegranate rind. And the listeners can also experiment with natural color. I hope they will. So if you haven't already, you can do this in your kitchen. You can test things out. You can do it outside in your garden. You can use your composted pieces and things like that to re-dye your clothes. So for example, if you have like a white shirt that you think is no longer longer able to live on as the white shirt because it's stained or something like that, try natural dyeing it, try reviving it. Yeah. And you've actually done a workshop set FIT where you have used flowers to create like a natural imprint of color onto like textiles. Would you talk a little bit about that? That is actually one of our signatures and how we first started with the natural color that is near and dear to my heart is using, again, these discarded flowers. We like to use roses. We've used safflower. We've used dahlias in our newest collection. We've pounded the flower of the dahlia into these really cool imprints. So basically, as long as you prepare the fabric properly, you can either do eco printing, which gives you a more um, definitive color of the uh, flower, Um, not color, but like print in the the textile. So you can do that. Eucalyptus is great. You can get great eco prints with eucalyptus. But also uh, my signature is really these watercolor composition. 
They're so beautiful. Thank you. I always know it's a Mimi Perber when I see it from afar. So yeah, so it's not taking the idea of imprinting the flower necessarily into the garment, but it's really hand painting with these flowers and doing it in different ways. For our fall collection, Fall 21, that's uh, currently in stores, we did ice dyeing. So that allowed us to use the botanicals, but instead of the steaming process that you usually do with these watercolor imprints, we actually put in the sampling snow, because it was the winter, into the wrapping of, of the pigments and let the snow melt into the garment. And then it embeds the plant pigments inside and it creates this really beautiful impressionistic watercolor imprint. Yeah. And and they're just so lovely. And this all kind of leads us back into the fact that like all of the production that you do is ethical, which is another pillar of your brand. What are some of the key practices as an ethical brand that you incorporate? And Just as an extra question, is there a difference between sustainable fashion and ethical fashion? For me, and just in general, transparency is so important. Authenticity, like there's just so much greenwashing going on. If you really want to hopefully initiate change, you have to be real and intimate and establish these authentic working relationships with the partners that you're working with as a designer. You need to ask questions. You need to educate yourself. You need to learn about textiles, try to learn about where the fiber was farmed, how, if you're not creating your own custom textiles and just being mindful of the entire process, because That is the only way that you're going to be authentic about um, what you are producing. Again, not overproducing and also being mindful of the garment after it leaves your hands. So we offer mending and tailoring and our goal is for this garment to be preserved and carried on from generation to generation as this handcrafted heirloom. But ultimately, we also think about if eventually, hopefully hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years down the line, if it does go into a different hand where they don't appreciate it. I'm not sure, but ultimately how it will be replenished back into the environment. So with our textiles, we only use organic natural fibers. I think that is really important because that is eventually going to be able to be biodegraded back into the earth. There's a lot of new textile techniques and interesting science-based things happening. But for me, it is really just almost going back to our core philosophies before all of these wonderful things happened in our industries and all of these um, discoveries and just being natural about that. But as far as sustainable fashion and ethical fashion, honestly, both are such buzzwords and distinguishing for a consumer, but they're used so loosely. Again, as a consumer asking those questions, whether or not they use these words, trying to figure out why they use these words. And basically, yes, I think there is a difference between sustainable and ethical in terms of, again, going back and asking these questions. What does sustainability mean? Is it just environmental? Do they only have organic certifications? Ethical should really be an important part of that narrative. Going back to the fact that There are hands that actually made these pieces. There are real living people that are creating this clothing. It should just be as kind on the person as it is on our planet. So yeah, ethical is super, super important because that is the person that is actually making the piece. Yeah, and I think they're interconnected. Big picture wise, all these things intersect. I also know that you happen to collaborate with artisans from around the globe. 
who continue, as you said earlier, to work in these techniques that might soon be lost if we don't continue to support and promote them. How does doing so contribute to your own practice? And might you tell us a little bit about some of the artisans that you work with? It is really, again, so important to what we do to hopefully support and preserve these crafts that really could be forgotten and lost. One of our most exciting new partnerships is working with the Women's Lace Guild in Kalam, India. They're preserving the art of handmade bobbin lace. So they're actually handmaking lace still, which is incredible. Really, it is such a dying art form and could easily be lost. They are struggling because People, again, the bottom line, it's more expensive to preserve these things than it is to just use a lace machine. Um, So they've suffered greatly. This woman started her guild. It was actually her mother. And she's still making this beautiful lace. And it's our goal to hopefully support that in however way we can. We've integrated only handmade lace in our uh, collections, even when we're not using these antique handmade textiles. I'm, you guys can't see me, but I'm like <laughs> clapping silently in front of the microphone. Yeah, it's really, really <laughs> important to us. And it's just made such a difference being able to support the work that she does. And I think also for them to know that it's still meaningful. It's just, I, there's no words that I can say how important it is to me. And then we also have started working in the fiber realm with very fine artisan fibers like pashmina cashmere and fine wool. And they've been sourced by Karnak nomads and the remote region of the Indian Himalayas and in partnership to preserve these ancient textile techniques. So they work with the hand spinning. They do hand knitting as also hand weaving with artisans in Ladakh. And again, this could just easily disappear. Um, And it's really, really important to preserve these heritages and these people and to support them as much as we can. And then we also work with our partner factory um, in India to support additional artisanal handcrafts. And so we implement that in the collection again through the lace making, hand embroidery, hand quilting, all of our custom textiles. So we make all of our textiles to order. We do not just buy yards of textiles and call it a day. We work with these artisans to develop these custom textiles. They're all hand spun and hand woven. And also the factory implements a mission through their factory's foundation to educate all women and children and like all of their children by providing 100% full funding for education. So focusing again on sustainability sustainability for both the environment as well as their people, which is like the people, (laughs) please, the people. And then it goes even beyond that, like all of their employees have the right to own a part of their business. So really, again, it's taking full steps and ethical practices for the protection and betterment of their people, workers and the community that they live in and as well as the environment. Yeah. And, And this is like something that gets so lost in these like big business enterprises, right? Who is working for Mimi? Like, you know the answer to that. You actually know the answer to that. Like I talk to them all the time. It's like, we, we are all responsible for each other. But I promise you, like other fashion enterprises are not taking these steps. And it's such a huge part of what you do, why it's so special, and a huge amount of labor for you on your end, just to make sure that these safeguards are in place, right? I really appreciate you acknowledging and understanding that um, it is it is not easy. It is really not easy, but I wouldn't have it any other way. I cannot produce any other way. I'm not putting things into the world 
any other way. So it's, it's important. Yeah. And also you do quite a bit of community engagement, which is the fourth pillar of your brand. Why is community engagement important? And how does community engagement look like for you? What does that look like? So for us, education, again, going back to educating, whether it's the consumer or our future industry professionals, artists, you know, just education plays such an integral role. You cannot learn additional things unless you you experience it and practice it. So for me, uh, community engagement is really important, whether it is, you know, our activations with museum partnerships that we have or working with educational institutions or even retailers and individuals, you know, hosting these workshops, offering our textile knowledge and sources, offering going back to like having mending workshops and things that will allow people to preserve uh, the life cycle of their own garments. Again, it's it's kind of that conversation of we're not going to change if the consumers don't change, if they're educated and not realizing that clothing is made by hands and that we sh- shouldn't have like an end of life for this clothing. We should be mindful of, of how, how we're using our possessions. Right. Absolutely. I mean, it's almost like an ethical responsibility as a consumer that you have And somehow or another, this whole narrative of that has been lost to us, I feel like, over the last hundred years. Yeah. I mean, and it goes, I mean, honestly, back to fast fashion marketing, like our understanding of just needing new things and needing to live up with the trends. And I know like cost is like a constant discussion, but we also just need to revalue what clothing means to us. And it doesn't mean going and purchasing something super expensive. It means investing in what you believe in. And, you know, if you maybe can't afford that saving for it, you know, there's always, always different things, buying, you know, secondhand, going to thrift stores, collecting vintage thing, reshaping your own clothes. There's things that you can invest in that do not cost you anything. And you do not need to just buy to buy. Right, right. But it's that like thrill. It's like the high of buying. Or just living, keeping keeping up with everybody, the trends, you know, all of these things. But again, at the end of the day, it's, it's marketing. So these big brands make their bottom lines. Yeah. But like, what are you actually getting out of it? Like anything? I don't know. So let's talk about this. You are actually joining us today from Ithaca because you have been the designer in residence in the fiber science and apparel design department at Cornell. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Would would you tell us a little bit about what you've been up to there? Yeah. So it's been so incredible to get away from our own space in New York City and be in Ithaca at Cornell University for this program. It's such a wonderful opportunity that was implemented by uh, the Cornell Fiber Science and Apparel Design, thanks to a generous support of an industry donor. And this 
this allows us to explore new new techniques, but also to just work and connect with the students. And it's been just an incredible experience, again, both as a designer in our own practice and then working with these fiber science and design students and professors at Cornell University. And we've been engaging in creating garments. So what's really exciting is some of the pieces from the Cornell Fashion Collection, they were set aside uh, as deaccessioned garments and antique textiles for us to work with. And this allowed us the opportunity to create and drape these textiles with the students as well as natural dye. We did host a natural dye workshop. We actually ended up hosting two of them. So they were able to not only natural dye their own pieces and some of the pieces that we provide, but also these antique textiles. Cool. Yeah. So basically we draped and embroidered an atelier dress uh, that will then live in the fashion collection with all of these students that have contributed to it, whether it's the natural dye, it's the embroidery, it's the hand draping. And what's really cool as as it's been created is it's kind of just been wonderful to see the excitement of the students. Even professors have participated in this and it's become almost like a big friendship quilt. So going back to that, (laughs) kind of like piecing together special textiles that easily would no longer live, you know, in the Cornell fashion collection. And what'll be really cool is we'll make sure to preserve the history of that on our tags. So we'll make a custom tag where it'll credit everybody that's had a hand in that. And it'll become part of the fashion collection at Cornell. And we'll carry on to the next generation with this documented story and meaning. Yeah. Let's just talk about your tags because this is a little bit mind-blowing. And also, too, you you mentioned the atelier. So the atelier is kind of like your made-to-measure, kind of like couture custom side of what you do, but you also do ready-to-wear. Would you tell us about all these different aspects of what you do? So with our tags, it's important, again, going back to preserving that history. If you look at any of our tags, they're actually handmade. We work with a a paper maker um, in California, Lauren from Farmette Press. She is just wonderful. She creates paper as well as uses botanical color. So each season we integrate what we've done in our collections and incorporated that into the botanical color on these tags. And we hand letter press um, using calligraphy by our very dear friend, Eddie Kim. So again, that full circle, just honoring those hands, creating the story of the piece. We call them source cards. So the idea is, is they're very special. Hopefully these hang tags are not thrown away. We've done everything that we can to make sure that the story of the garment is on there and uh, whether it's the hands of creation or the antique textile techniques and everything like that. So it is preserved or the botanical natural dye methods. And then going into our distinction between atelier as well as our ready to wear, as we've kind of like started working with different artisan partners, our atelier started basically from my, you know, signature philosophy, which was working with these antique textiles to create modern handcrafted heirlooms. Now it uh, lives mostly as the distinction between what we make locally. So our atelier is done um, in the United States, mostly with the antique textiles, also our partners in the U.S., the farm to fiber, et cetera. And then our our ready-to-wear typically includes our new handcrafted custom textiles. So they would be um, the handmade laces that we discussed working with the artisans in India basically in partnership with our international artisans. And these are inspired by these early antique textile narratives and preserving the handcraft. Yeah, 
so just like all encompassing. And I think people just need to recognize the amount of mental labor that goes into your work outside of the actual physical labor of the creation of things. Thank you. Yeah, it's really super special. Thank you. Yeah, it is. It's just a honor to be able to work with all of these wonderful people and hopefully make an impact and a difference, um, even in a small way and supporting them. And, you know, our goal is to be able to support beyond just like the fashion realm, you know, just not just creating beautiful clothing, which hopefully, you know, it is beautiful and people love and preserve because at the end of the day, that is going to be what what's drawn to somebody. But um, there is so many multidimensional layers throughout the entire process that hopefully people understand. And part of your beautiful clothing is on view currently at Cornell. Yes, because an exhibition is part of your residency there. Yes, yes. So we um, installed a really nice, well-rounded exhibition of our work uh, in the Jill Stewart Gallery at Cornell University. And it's been really wonderful because it's almost a retrospective of our work, including all of the antique textiles that we use, as well as the custom textiles. It also includes my first thesis gown from 2012, all the way up to our current collection that is in stores now. So we've broken these pieces down into different section. So we have our atelier, which includes all of our antique textile pieces, as well as the farm to fiber, where we show not only the finished garments that we've created um, with our partners, uh, but we also show the process. So if you do have a chance to visit this exhibit, you can actually feel, again, the Paco Vicuña fiber, the North American cashmere goat fiber, and you can see the differences in all of these wonderful wonderful textiles. And then we also have the natural dye section, which explains all of our processes. We have some interactive videos as well as our runway shows. And hopefully it's a retrospective where you can see how the collection builds upon itself and our philosophy. And some of the pieces are almost made a decade apart. So you can see like not much really has changed in our core ethos. And again, going back to building upon each season and wanting to add to the collection of pieces rather than just completely reinvent. Yeah. And and you know what? When I teach fashion history, I talk a lot about how oftentimes really exceptional designers' work doesn't change a lot within their career, right? So they start with an idea and that idea is so solid. It doesn't have to change. It doesn't have to follow trends. It's just there and it is and it's beautiful and people love it i'd love to sit in your fashion history (laughs) (laughs) well i haven't been teaching recently but maybe maybe sometime soon that would be amazing (laughs) and this exhibition up at cornell is not the only exhibition of your work. You are actually included in the show currently up at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City at the Costume Institute. The show is entitled In America, A Lexicon of Fashion. So this certainly had to be a very thrilling email or phone call to receive. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, definitely pinching myself. It's an incredible honor to be included on so many different levels, obviously as a designer, but also someone who appreciates museum practices and all of the hard work that goes into a museum collection. There are just no words. It's definitely a dream come true. (laughs) Do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about the patchwork piece of yours that's in the show? 
Yeah, so uh, the patchwork piece that they selected is from our fall 2018 collection, which incorporates a motorcycle jacket as well as wide leg pants um, that was created from antique crazy quilts. So antique crazy quilts have been a core of our textile development pretty much since we began um, in 2012. I think we started first using them in 2004. 14 or 13, maybe as we did expand beyond the antique laces. For me, quilting, going back to quilting is such an integral part of our philosophy. Really, uh, it was the first zero waste technique. If you think about it, using all of these forgotten fragments that easily could have been discarded and just um, reinventing them into these incredible, incredible textiles that were hand embroidered painstakingly. They would take years to make. It was usually made by, you know, families and they would pass them on from generation to generation. And just preserving that has been so important um, in our work. And again, we don't use quilts that are still in its purposeful condition, you know, that uh, have the function as as a quilt still. Um, We use pieces that, you know, have some shattering, have the staining, and then we preserve and mend each of these pieces. And they're usually signed and dated. So the specific piece um, is dated and also has a M embroidery, which I think is really sweet, <laughs> given my name. Um, and then we incorporated it into a motorcycle jacket, um, which is definitely, you know, more modern and taking that to the next level into the collection. Yeah. Okay. So you have been at this for a while. Sustainability has been part of your platform since the very beginning, since you were still in school at FIT. And we've already kind of, you've already pointed out that this whole topic of sustainability wasn't part of the discussion 10, 12 years ago, but now it's this new thing. It's this new trendy thing that everyone is trying to glom onto. So I'm not going to say the name of the brand, but let's just say that there is a male-owned fashion brand who is currently using repurposing quilts and other textiles that is charging like upwards of $6,000 for a coat. And they only started like three years ago. How does this make you feel as a designer? I've been dabbling in um, the idea of reusing antique textiles for, for close to a decade. So as I continue to, you know, try to hold down as a, as a designer and brand, we've had brands coming up recently that are doing similar work. And I think there's a place for everybody, but I also think the industry should appreciate and again, ask questions of where that is coming from. So if the intentions are good and we can all live together, you know, like it's, it's, it it needs to happen. This conversations need to happen. But um, again, going back to just making sure that what is being used you're educated about it. And it's not just a fleeting trend or just a brand identity that really doesn't resonate with your core. <laughs> um, it's a difficult conversation. You know, it has, hasn't been easy seeing all of these brands, you know, come up with like similar ideas or things. And, you know, hopefully I'll, I'll be able to be recognized too and we can all live together peacefully and it'll be for the greater good of the industry. Yeah, yeah. I guess, like, my point to this whole thing is, is like, yes, we need to pay a certain amount 
for these beautiful things that everyone's making. We're acknowledging the fact that a lot of times these textiles are being repurposed. They were handmade to begin with, um, not necessarily inexpensive for you as a designer to use, but like, where is that line between paying for what something is worth and paying for someone's work versus it being $6,000? I, I can't wrap my brain around this. <laughs> I mean, we, we have higher prices, but it's again, like you said, because of the textiles we use are authentically valuable inherently of itself. Yeah, but your, your work is still a fraction of that price point that I just mentioned. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, no. Aren't aren't six thousand dollars for a quilted coat? Um, yeah, costing is an interesting thing because I do have like that conversation with myself endlessly. Is how can we respect and value people's time? And again, like for our pieces, we're sitting in retailers alongside others that maybe really, even if they claim sustainability, aren't really as sustainable. So we're paying everybody what they ask, you know, we're, it's not a negotiation process. That's again, super important is we need to make sure it's beyond living wages. It's what people value for their time and deserve. But at the end of the day, it does get difficult to cost something out with the value of time or or with that value, because again, it's that conversation. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't know uh, how I would be interesting to know how, how many of these pieces are being actually sold. And again, it's kind of a divide, I guess, between our celebrity narrative. Maybe I I'm not sure. Um, maybe they have a following of a lot of people with a lot of money and, you know, they're buying into whatever, but asking those questions and just making sure that people are paid fairly and not even just the designer themselves. Because at the end of the day, if the designer is doing something authentically good, more than likely the designer is not getting much, if any of that actual money that comes in from selling a garment. Right, right. And I guess like the moral of the story to all of these things that we've been talking about today is consumers ask questions. Yes, please. It's And it's okay to ask questions. Like, I didn't buy something today because I didn't like the fiber content of it. You know, it's like, no, can't do that. As much as I think it's really cute and it's really beautiful and as much as I like to have that, I'm not doing it because I can't, I can't participate. Now, believe, believe in what is meaningful to you. Invest in what is meaningful to you. It really goes a long way, um, especially for smaller designers. You know, the support of of people just investing in in work is what keeps those designers and the artisans that they work with, if they're doing it in ethical ways, alive. But if something doesn't add up or your instincts are not right, try to identify it like with with the brand, ask those questions. And if they are giving you a narrative that is copy and pasted or doesn't seem authentic, think about what that means to you and don't just feed into um, the idea of it because they say so. Yes. Mimi, thank you so much. This is so amazing. Congratulations on all these amazing things that are happening for you right now. And we just know that there's a lot more of that to come for you. Well, thank you so much. It's, again, such an honor. This has been a highlight of my day and uh, <laughs> <laughs> my my month. Um, it's, it's just such a pleasure to be a part of this. And, and thank you for all of the 
inspiring and incredible and important work that you are doing and continuing the conversation of fashion. Thank you. We try. (laughs) Do an incredible job. So keep up that work. Mimi, thank you so much for joining us this week. We really want to recognize this incredible amount of work that you do outside of the designing and constructing of your work that really goes into your brand. So thank you so much for what you do. Yeah, and Tuesday's episode, a few days ago, Mimi said that she's been a big fan of Dressed since the very beginning. And we just want to say right back at you. We are huge fans of what you do too, so... That does it for us this week, dress listeners. May you consider incorporating some heirlooms into your wardrobe next time you get dressed. And if you'd like to reach out to us with episode suggestions or questions, you can find us on Instagram at dress underscore podcast, which is where we, of course, post images for each week's episodes. And also email us at dress at iheartmedia.com. And thank you as always to our producers, Casey Pagram, Holly Fry, and everyone else at iHeartRadio who helps produce the show each week. Dress, the history of fashion, is a production of iHeartRadio. From a podcast my iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to your favorite shows.